Hi, everybody. This is Work in Progress, an AGGB podcast where you're going to hear from artists, curators, gallery staff, collaborators, and even different hosts as you listen to each episode. I'm Mel Granley, your host for the day. I'm the guest curator at the Art Gallery of Greater Victoria and one of the co-curators of the exhibition Reverberations. Um, so I'd like to start out by introducing myself and my language. Um, so Tanche Kiowao Mel Tishinikashun Mistahe Maka Amiskoseken de Ukraine. Mofami Paquette Shalafu Blake Roland de Granley Namoy Nashkatan. So hi everyone. Mel, my name is Mel. I am from the traditional Metis settlement of Edmonton, otherwise known as Maka Miskoseken. And my family is also from the Ukraine. My family names are Paquette, Shalafu, Blake, Roland, and Granley. And it's really nice to meet all of you today. This episode is being recorded and will be produced on the traditional lands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, also known as the Songhees and Esquimalt Nations. Land acknowledgements are a really important aspect of events and introductions when you're hosting something like this. I like to think of it as a way to remind people of their responsibility to learn about these lands and to think of how they came here. You know, I think a lot of times land acknowledgements can become viewed as an obligation to fulfill and they become really standardized and maybe are summed up in a sentence or two, but it is this opportunity and the intention is to contemplate how you got here, why you're here, um, who your ancestors are, and what your responsibility is to this place. Um, so I've been here for about nine years now. I am from, my family is from Edmonton, but I grew up around Calgary um, and I moved out here in 2013. Um, yeah. Um, so in this episode, we are joined by collaborators from the exhibition Reverberations. This exhibition aims to bring fresh eyes and minds to the AGGB's permanent collection. This exhibition was not only a chance for the gallery to offer its collection as a resource for building new relationships within local communities, but also an opportunity for these artists to bring their own work into conversation with historical and contemporary art objects from the collection that they felt a resonance to. Here today are several of the artists who are invited to select from the over 22,000 objects in the AGGB's vault to share more about their experiences diving into the basement archives. Um, so we're lucky to, to be here today with Emily Dean, Estrada Lupino-Smith, and James Rodriguez. They are three of the artists that we worked with on this exhibition, and I will ask them all to introduce themselves. My name is Estrada Lupino-Smith. Uh, my pronouns are they and them, and uh, I'm a settler of Italian, Scottish, and Irish descent. My family immigrated uh, to Canada in the 1950s, and I uh, am based here in Lekwungen Territory, and I've been on these territories uh, for almost five years. And I'm originally from Takaranto, which is Dish with One Spoon Territory, uh, which is where I was born and grew up. My name is Emily Keen. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. Uh, I am of English, French, and Irish ancestry, and my family um, is settled in the Okanagan Valley or Sioux territory. And uh, that's where I grew up and, uh, until I was finished my undergraduate degree. And then I moved to Victoria or Lekwungen Territory for my graduate degree at U uh, the University of Victoria. And that is also where I teach now. I teach photography and video art uh, mostly there. And um, yeah, it's coming up on close to nine or 10 years that I've been here. So. 
Hi, uh, my name is James Rodriguez. Um, Rodriguez is a Spanish name from my dad, who comes from El Salvador. And uh, I've been located here in the Lekwungen territories for 10 years. I have been doing uh, poetry and mostly spoken word for uh, since 2017. So I'm not sure how many years of that because I'm not very good at math. But uh, <laughs> yeah, basically uh, a little hot minute. That's amazing. I'd like to like set the stage a little bit for people listening in on how this process worked. Um, so this exhibition began with a conversation in a backyard between my co-curators, Nicole Stanbridge and Hung Wu, where they had the idea to bring different generations and communities in to look at our collection and create artwork in response. The idea was to create a dialogue between artwork and artists, as well as keeping our collection alive. Collections are often stuffed away into a vault, underutilized and unseen. What was the process of selecting an artwork from our collection like? Sorry, I could start off with this one because um, for me, first of all, I have always had such a soft spot for sculpture and uh, I wish that it was something that I could go into more um, as my journey with art moves on and I probably will but just everything that you uh, brought out in the pictures for me to look at uh, was just so, so like me, I loved it. It was just such interesting works with glass and light. And I really loved that. I feel like that really connected to already kind of what my writing uh, is inspired by. And um, the two works that really stuck out for me, I think were the just the ones that I chose immediately was the Home is Office and Soft Works for Complicated Needs by Robert Eudes. And um, yeah, they, they were just so beautiful to me. And uh, I feel like both the, you know, Mel, we talked about um, the titles of them and uh, how that also just we felt really connected to that. And I just feel like it worked out so perfectly because, you know, um, first the home is office. It was made in 2001. But that sculpture is so interesting because just the title home is office. And, um, you know, when I looked at that, that picture of it at first, I felt like it was my interpretation was it was like someone took the roof like off of an office room and you were like kind of looking into like an abstract little office. And so once again, even though it was made in 2001, I felt like that was really special to what's been going on right now. And in 2022, I feel like, yeah, we we are opening up a little bit more from everything that's been going on. But I feel like there's a lot of individuals that are still, you know, homebound. And, you know, like me, I, uh, I other than uh, my work in poetry, I just work a full-time retail job. So I just go to work and I come home and that's it. Not, you know, just because I, that's all I really have to do. So um, I think that it still is interesting to have those conversations of what has it been like to be working from home? I think we've talked about that a lot. I feel like I've heard so many people talking about, you know, the phrase we're working at home, but that's so different for all of us. And for some of us, it's like totally brand new. We've never worked at home before. And so um, it can feel really isolating. And that's basically what I kind of dedicated that piece to uh, that I wrote about, you know, that feeling of being in a room. And uh, I think I talked about a little bit about 
like blue light and there's a lot of like light in that um sculpture it's not blue but just like talking about light kind of that was referring to like coming from like a screen like we you know can from the push of a button talk to so many people but in our physical space we're sometimes just one person in a room so uh, that's kind of what was my experience with choosing the sculptures. And I just felt like they really connected to what was going on right now and uh, conversations that I feel like I hadn't gotten to have if I hadn't been alone in a room, just like thinking about, you know, what am I going to write about for this piece? Um, so, yeah, it was so fun. So interesting. It was really enjoyable. It was really fun for me too, because I'm newer to the gallery. So when you gave me your keywords, I was able to explore the collection more um, and see the variety of items that we had. And I remember I sent you the list of items and you emailed me back and you were like, I like all of them. <laughs> yes, so yeah. We had, to, we had to narrow it down. Um, but I'm really happy that we went with the Robert's, Robert Ute pieces. I love the poem that you wrote about home is office. I feel like it like strikes such a deep visceral chord um, like beginning with the discussion about early human and then going into what we're doing, like what we're dealing with now. And I loved the title like immediately when I saw it because I just thought um, the context of the phrase home is office has changed so much from when the piece was made um, just because of COVID. Um, so I was really happy when we chose Robert's work. Um, there's also an interesting connection to one of the other artists in the room um, with Robert, Emily, actually. <laughs> yeah, I could, I'm like chomping at the bit to be like, I know him. <laughs> um, Rob, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I hope you don't laugh too hard. Um, or I hope you do. Yeah, James, I th was so like pleased to see that you chose Rob's work because I got to say, I bookmarked his work too, because he was my grad supervisor when I was doing my, my master's at UVic. Um, but I was like, I don't know if I want to pick my grad supervisor's work for my response piece. Sorry, Rob. Um, but yeah, like I was just so pleased to see that you did because then I got to be like neighborly with Rob in the gallery in the end. And also I was just like so um, enthused to see like the relationship to James's poetry because Rob is totally a poet as well. Like he, <laughs> he had a work at Open Space, I forget what year, but it was like projected text and it was in blue. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it filled like the gallery wall and I forget what the text was about, but um, there's definitely like kindred spirits there. That's so amazing. I had yeah. no idea that he worked yeah. with poetry. Yeah, that is yeah. so, oh my gosh, you learn something new every day. That's so yeah. awesome. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. So Mel, I could respond to um, that question as well of like, what was it like to select an artwork? Um, I found it like sort of challenging, actually. I spent like probably three hours or so just scrolling through the collection while my eyes sort of like glazed over. <laughs> and um, yeah, there was just so much. I think I just was like paralyzed with indecision just because there was so much. And I'm sort of at a crossroad in my practice right now, too, where I don't quite know like where it's going and like what, diff what uh, sorts of works would respond to what I'm doing right now. And because of the sort of short turnaround um, between when Nicole reached out to me and when the exhibition was 
going to occur and the fact that I was pretty busy with teaching, um, I decided to work with uh, works that I already had. I don't know how that process was for other people, but like I didn't make new work for the show. Um, however, I thought it was kind of cool to uh, <laughs> sort of take old works that never really got shown before and bring them into the future and think of well, the future, the present and think about them now um, and use like a work from the collection as uh, as a way to do that. Similarly, Nicole was uh, a major part of like helping me decide what work to use um, or what work to respond to. And she actually suggested a completely different work uh, at first. It was by Marlene Kreitz called, I have it written down here, Dwelling in Transience, Greater Victoria uh, from the year 2000. And I kind of liked that it was like this millennium um, commission that she had. She's a, an East Coast artist who was invited out to do this commission for like the turn of the millennium. Um, and it was like these banal images of Victoria. And I work with a lot of banal images of Victoria, but her work was massive. It was like, it was going to take up like a whole gallery wall. Um, and there was a conversation about like how my work would be in relationship to that. So we ended up sort of choosing a different work. And I had uh, I had bookmarked um, one page of the North American Time Zone series, which is what I ended up responding to. Um, but it was really hard for me to know like what that work was because they just kind of look like these gritty black and white photographs. And uh, what was a turning point for me was um, that I was able to come into the gallery and like physically look at the work. And then I was like, yes, this is a good decision for me because that work is act it's like a portfolio. And so being able to like flip through it and like understand the physicality of those images was really important to me. Um, I'm photo based in my work, but like physical um, physicality and materials is super important to my practice. So that felt it felt right after I was actually to, able to look at the work in person. And I found the online browsing to be just like so difficult, actually. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're touching on a lot of points about like the in, inaccessibility of museum collections. Yeah, yeah but I, I appreciate you bringing those points up. And I love yeah. your work in the space. Um, I think they work so well um, with the works that you picked. Um, I love that picture. Nicole told me the story. There's that one picture of a woman laying on the floor. She <laughs> told me that that's your mom. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> maybe just like quickly what those works are is they're like uh, basically collages, I guess you might call them collages, but they're just photos that I transferred from my like phone um, archive of just like random photos that I've taken. I used to have to transfer them to my computer because I would like run out of storage space on my phone and they would pop up in preview and which is like the Apple's Apple software for viewing images. And it would just make this beautiful stack of images. And I was like, Oh my God, that's beautiful. And I just took a screenshot of it. And then that turned into a process. So I would manipulate it a little bit. I would like intervene and like delete certain ones to like reveal what was underneath. Um, but yeah, that image is of my mom, uh, because she was helping me move. I left Victoria after I finished my, um, graduate program. Cause I, Victoria is a hard place to stay in after school, unless you have something lined up and I didn't, I left and I came back two months or four months later <laughs> to start teaching. I left and came back like several times, but I was in a lot of 
the works also encapsulate like a very transient time in my life where I was bouncing around all over BC and elsewhere. And my mom is amazing. And she was very instrumental in like helping me sort of navigate that time in my life. And that's her with a sore back <laughs> um, after helping us like clean out the apartment. And she's just like laying on the like cold apartment floor, trying to like help her back out a little bit. Um but I asked her, I was like, mom, there's this image of you I want to use. Are you okay with it? And she looked at it and she's like, yeah. And I was surprised because like it, <laughs> I thought she would be too embarrassed, but I'm so happy that she agreed because it's everybody's favorite image. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really love it. Yeah. I'd love to say a couple things. Similarly, there was like a, a shorter, I guess, uh, turnaround time for me being a part of, of, uh, of the exhibition. So it felt like a little bit like the pressure was on to find like the perfect thing, you know? And yeah, for me, because I was really thinking about materials, I was trying to search the collection based on those materials and or based on like theme, um, which is not how the collection, um, I guess, like software, organizing software works. Like you can't put in like resource extraction as like a theme, <laughs> which is not how a collection software works at all. Yeah. Um, but I guess in that, I would say like a couple things about the difference then between like a museum collection and like a publicly accessible archive, which I think there, I, I hadn't really thought about it before this, but it, it really made me think about that. And uh, like a funny aside that really brought that to light for me was that I was explaining, um, you know, like was having dinner with some friends. Um, and it was the next day that I was going to come in to like view some of the pieces that I had asked um, the collections and staff to like pull so that I could take a look at them closer. And I was explaining like even when I worked at the gallery, uh, like I didn't have access to the basement, you know, it's like certain people only and it's all these rooms and it's a vault really and all these things and he was like oh should we set up a heist like as a joke but it was this kind of thing where like someone who doesn't have any experience with art at all is like well what's down there you know and the answer I think for a lot of us is like well I don't really know like some of the folks who've been at the museum for a long time know that because they're also carrying the institutional memory but if you haven't been there for a long time um it really is like I mean it's so awesome to have this like digital searching tool but it's still so limited because uh and I think we're, we're going to talk about this more later, but because you don't have a relationship to any of that programming over time just by having it collected, you know? And so, yeah, it made me think a lot about how we access these kinds of works and like what happens in a museum when you're acquiring things and like what's the purpose of acquiring and, and that. Uh, yeah, and maybe based on some of the questions, I can say more about that later. But anyway, I, I so yeah, similar similar to Emily, I really was just like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Like I clicked on like certain things and was like, I'm just going to search all of A or all of contemporary art or all of, what, you know, like big, broad things just so that I could really try to take in some of that. Uh, and that's how I found Sonny's work, Sonny Astu. And something just really struck me about his pieces. Uh, I work with a lot of uh, natural material, I guess, in my in my work. And so seeing these big pieces of cedar um, that are sort of displayed as masks, there was something, yeah, it just really resonated with me. And I was like, I want to see those. Mm -hmm. And then I also very luckily before the show happened, had a chance to actually talk to talk to Sunny. So we did a Zoom call with, um, with Nicole, myself and him. Uh, and it was really neat to hear the background of the work because then it gave me sort of even more of like some context for how the work was produced. And so the pieces were actually collected from his home community where like a log cabin, like a fancy luxury log cabin building company uh, butts up right next to like the edge of like the, um, the res, I guess, or like the community. 
And they cut down a bunch of cedar trees, make these beautiful log cabins, and then ship them away. And so there was something really, and those pieces are like the off cuts. And so he said he collected quite a few over time and was over time trying to figure out what to do with them. But that part really started to resonate where I was like, oh, this is like not only just like a, a native species to this to this area, but you know, cedar has so much in a variety of different nations and communities, even right here on Vancouver Island, um, so much reverence and, and so much cultural um, value and use. Um, whereas the work that I was doing that I was hoping to, to use and to continue to make work, that's about um, species that were imported here through various routes of settlement. And so uh, it seemed like there was something really interesting there going on about land, connection to land base, and just thinking about sort of the layered histories of those different plants. Yeah, I I really love how the search process made you think about acquisition and how that thinking about how museums acquire works and have their works um, in their vaults influence the way that you went about choosing a piece. And I think you and Sunny's works, um, they work so well together. I think the conversation between them just works really well and is really beautiful. Um, and I'm really grateful you were able to be in the show on such a short notice. Um, okay, so the next question, um, through reverberations, there were many layers involved in creating this exhibition. Layers that are steeped in relationship building with artists and a range of communities. Um, these are essential aspects to artistic and curatorial practices that often go unseen by the broader public. And arguably, this important process-based work has become more invisible to our audiences over the last year as the ADGB and all museums have been forced to grapple with the challenges of surviving and maintaining re relevance during the COVID-19 pandemic. In the spirit of offering some additional transparency of transparency of process. Could you share a little bit more about what may have transpired behind the scenes as the exhibition took shape? Yeah, going back to talking about, you know, uh, home is office. I really was in my own office, just kind of like sitting on the floor and just like trying to muddle up these poems. And um, I was really nervous because also I had just finished um, my term as Youth Poet Laureate. And when I was doing that term, it was I had to be really cautious of not what I was saying and what my poetry was about, but, you know, who my audience was, because, uh, you know, the people who I was working with was the youth. And I, you know, wanted to make sure that it, you know, was able to connect with them and that, um, you know, that it was a little bit more geared towards them. And um, also I was asked to do a lot of um, work for the city. And so when you actually do the application for Youth Poet Laureate, they ask you to submit a, or for me at least, they asked me to submit um, a poem that I would do in a casual setting and a poem that I would do in a professional setting because I would be doing, um, you know, I would be speaking for like city meetings as well. That's uh, part of your duties being the Youth Poet Laureate. So I did have to kind of, you know, think about what what work I was choosing to perform. And so coming from that and then like coming back into the world of like, OK, you, you're free, like just write whatever. I feel like when I was doing that term, I was a little bit restricted that I just I wanted it to connect with them. And so there was some experiences that I held um, that I was really experiencing that moment that I kind of wanted to like keep back for later. 
And so when I got to do this project, that was just so like fun for me because, you know, I would just really felt like, okay, I'm, I'm writing a piece and, you know, the point is just, I'm gonna really just enjoy the experience of writing it. And just, you know, the whole year I had been worrying about, you know, what's the outcome going to be? What is this going to look like on stage? What is this going to, you know, how is this going to be responded like? And so I, with this piece, I, with these two pieces that I wrote, um, responding to the two sculptures or three, because the, uh, um, the soft works for complicated needs. There's there's two soft uh, pieces. So um, when I was writing it, I was just like, okay, just like, what do these mean for you? And um, when I did the soft works, which are these like pillows, basically, I really just loved how they were folded, and I had just kind of thought about another aspect of having, you know, us all been in isolation was that, you know, our bodies and our feel like our bodies have been changing through this time. And, you know, we've been we've been in a different environment. And so I think like I saw the two pieces and I saw them as like bodies and like, you know, they our bodies fold and our bodies are like they can be flexible. They cannot be flexible like they can just, you know, move and um, they don't always have to be beautiful. Like, you know, they're just bodies and they just exist. And that's where the title of that poem for those two soft works I don't remember what the title of my own poem was. It was, oh, it was existing next to each other, something, something. And uh, that's basically what I felt like from that was, you know, seeing those two pillows was like existing. You know, we can be just bodies and we can just exist. And even if we're next to each other, even if we're far apart, you know, we're kind of all as one. And so that kind of brought me into like that poem is a lot more writing about like nature and breathing and water and flowing and the moon and how, you know, we are water. And so the moon, you know, affects us just like it affects the ocean. And so, um, yeah, those two pieces just really got me into like writing just for genuinely what I was interested in and what I wanted to write about. Uh, Same with um, Home is Office. Even just, um, like I said before, it was made in 2001. And for me that I was um, born in 2002, but that like, I love that year just because I love film. I'm super interested in film. And whenever I see that year, I think of 2001, A Space Odyssey. It's one of my favorite movies of all time because uh, my dad got me into film. And so when I was a little kid, he was like, I'm going to show you one of my favorite movies, kid. You're going to love this. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Like, this is such a, it's such a weird like movie for a dad to introduce a kid to to like get into the world of film but I'm very grateful for it because it's just I love that movie and so um that was the inspiration for the beginning of like starting off with 
you know, like the first man and like creating tools and, you know, being creative, even though like you don't really know you're being creative to now, which like sitting me when I was sitting alone in that office making that poem, what was going through my head was like insecurity and feeling like is like, how far can we go until no idea is original? And until, you know, we've just used all these materials up and there's nothing left to make. And, you know, how can I be creative when, you know, all these artists from before me have just already made the masterpieces is basically what I was feeling like in my insecurity. And so I just kind of threw that into the, my writing and it just came out as like, you know, this piece about isolation and like, is there, is there left to make in the office, which is what the title is called. And so, yeah, that was just, it was very interesting and such a like lovely experience to get back into really my own sort of style of writing. I love your reference to Space Odyssey. Um, I think that's amazing. And I love that that was part of the influence. Um, I also think it is very interesting, like the lens that you were able to switch from to from from being the youth poet laureate and that you sort of had to be more conscious conscious of the um content you were writing about um and that with this exhibition you were able to be a bit more free that makes me happy that we were able to like facilitate that for you um and also that this is sort of like your last thing in victoria before you move on to vancouver and film school which is super exciting um Yeah, it was such a great like transitional project to do for me. It was just the the perfect thing to like help me move on from that last year of of really hard, but really interesting work. I think that a part of this exhibition too was just like creating relationships with people and creating connections between us as a curator and with you, the artists, Um, because those connections, you know, they'll continue on um, down the years and down the line, you know, like if... I'm working later um, in the future, maybe at a different gallery, I could think of a project where a poet might be needed. And I'd be like, oh, I worked with James before and it was a delight to work with him or anything that relates to either Emily or Straven's work um, and things like that. You know, those connections, um, they're lasting and they're things that you build over time. So I'm really grateful that we were able to do that with this exhibition. I can say a little more about sort of my process. Um, One of the great things about being asked uh, to be part of the show at this time is that I've been uh, an artist in residence fellow at the Center for Studies in Religion and Society at UVic uh, this year. It was a really nice way to take a bunch of the work that I have produced during the residency so far um, and share it. And felt really very fortuitous, I guess, that, um, that it was now. And the large, the largest piece that's in um, the in, with my work is is called Landscape Liturgy, which is also what I sort of the title of the project that I uh, had pitched in my application to the CSRS residency. And I did that one um, most recently. And part of what happens at the CSRS is that every day, well Monday to Friday at eleven, there's 
what's just called a coffee talk. And sometimes it's just sort of, we just choose something to speak about. And other times, you know, people come and do dry runs on conference presentations or somebody's working on something and they want to present it or whatever. And so I actually set up my Loom. Uh, actually, it was kind of lucky that we ended up doing most of the um, most of the coffee talks after the winter break via Zoom, because even though I often was in my office <laughs> down the hall, um, I, I set up my one of the Looms and actually wove while we were having these discussions. And so part of that was directly related to my project with the CSRS, which is thinking about weaving as a form of ritual or kind of what gets tangled up when you're when you're weaving. And so what ended up happening was that so much of the piece was actually produced while I was in conversation with all of these other fellows and, and the staff and scholars there at the center, um, thinking about really tough issues like climate change, religion, uh, the, the war in Ukraine, um, and reconciliation. Uh, just like so many things, we really talk about all kinds of current events, I guess, not just like, theology. it's not really a theology place. Uh, certainly, I would have very little to contribute if it was. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that I think was really neat. And so it's really neat to see it up and displayed and think about all the, those different layered conversations that happened while it was being produced. And just, I guess, in general, thinking about what happens, I guess, with my work where it's like making it with my hands, collecting things from the landscape, processing them with my hands. Like it's, and that weaving itself is like, you know, thousands and thousands of year old um, ritual or tradition that I'm also like embodying when I'm doing that. So I guess that's kind of like the background of how those pieces were, were created. But I think, I think all the ones that were there were, were produced during the time that I've been that I've been a resident there at um at UVic. So that's I think that's very interesting. It makes me think of how um the gallery space is so removed from the actual creation process. And I think a lot of times people don't think of where the work was made or um the context it was made in. So no one would think that oh this person made these weavings while they were on coffee breaks or while they were talking about these like issues with other people and how those conversations may have influenced your weaving and things like that, you know. And so I think that this is like a great space for that information to come out for people to hear about that. Um, I also think about like James writing poetry in his room or something um, and maybe writing it like on a Google Doc or on a sheet of paper first, and then it getting transferred into this new video format. Um, and then Emily's process, which we'll hear more about. And we've already heard a little bit about that, like uploading photos to her phone and yeah. sort of curating them. Yeah. <laughs> Digital struggles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how that all comes together, like in the space and it becomes removed, that story, that story that the work was created from is sort of removed. So thank you, Estraven, for that that insight into how the pieces were made and what was going on while they were made. It's really awesome. So a key component to this exhibition is the idea of relationships. Um, and we've already talked about a few of the relationships that we found woven into this exhibition, but we were interested in the relationship between our incoming artists and our collections artists, as well as the relationship we as curators could create between ourselves and the artists we were working with. Um, how did relationships factor into the way your work took place for this exhibition? And can you speak to any unexpected connections or developments? Yeah, I could jump in next. 
Yeah. So um, Nicole and I work together, as we mentioned, but yeah, in terms of like relationship building, it's been cool for me because actually when I was working with Rob as a grad student, I needed to choose somebody to be my external examiner. So for my oral defense, there's like a committee of people, faculty in the department, but then you need somebody from outside of that department to serve on your um, examination. And so that can be like someone else at UVic, uh, or it could be somebody outside of UVic and Rob suggested Nicole Stanbridge. And so I had her for a studio visit and then she, yeah, I like chose to work with her for that, or she was able to volunteer her time for that. Um, and yeah, so that's how I first met her, but that's in 2015. And then in 2019, uh, 2018-19, I applied to do a public art project at the Victoria Airport, and um, I was unsuccessful. Charles Campbell got that commission, and it's beautiful work. You should definitely check it out if you're ever moving through YYJ in the new wing there, now that we can travel. <laughs> um, but Nicole was on the jury for that. Uh, I was shortlisted, and she was on the jury. And the work that I proposed for that, I think that sort of like what stuck out in Nicole's mind and sort of reached out to me for this based on like what I pitched them. So it's just cool for me as somebody who's been in the Victoria art community for a little while now to sort of see how these threads sort of continue over time. And as an artist, you know, you get rejections, so you don't get, you don't, you don't win them all, obviously. And I was definitely like really excited about that public art project, but it wasn't the time for me then. And it's cool to see how that sort of turned into something else and how the, the thinking that was going on then has come forward into the work that I showed in reverberations. So for me yeah. personally, that's kind of cool. And yeah, it's been great getting yeah. to know Nicole better through this process. With your story about the um, airport artwork, it feels um, serendipitous, I guess, yeah. that you ended yeah. up in this exhibition. Totally, place. totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and all three of you have works in the exhibition that are also connected to some sort of invitation to the public to create, contemplate, or engage more deeply with the exhibition to find their own reverberations, um, so to say. Um, would you like to comment on these participati participatory moments throughout the show or participatory artwork more broadly? Yeah, I really like that, that part of the show also. I think anytime that there's something people can engage with, even if it's not not just that activity, but doing the activity just helps folks like linger and let and um, let them maybe process what else they're taking in and the works themselves. And also just like a, a big part of my practice, I would say, is like a social practice kind of thing, either through doing like something that's like more formally a workshop or, or otherwise. And I really, I think that that part can be really transformational. I think that there's definitely something to just going and experiencing works and just letting, you know, taking something in and taking you know, a look at something that other people have created, especially in a, a show like this, where there is this uh, conversation happening between the paired work and then also all the work together in the show. But I think that that can be really helpful in a in a gallery. And I think it also I think it also helps folks maybe who wouldn't normally think of going to like an art gallery as a thing to do potentially if you're if you see a show that has a little more conversation happening and where you can sort of just like with me that I had built this loom out of two by fours that's really meant as exactly this kind of tool like I haven't actually woven on that loom I use it mostly for these kinds of things community participation or leading it somewhere and seeing how people interact with it or those kinds of things yeah I think it lets people be a, a bit more disarmed and I think that that can be a kind of an interesting thing to have happen in a and um, like a big museum gallery. 
Um, I feel like with uh, having the like ability to write your own poetry for that like part of the exhibit I I I really got into poetry because of workshops and things like that and um you know those things where you can participate in and do a little bit of writing and stuff like that that is totally what got me into poetry because um you know I feel like with artists mostly it's like when you hear when you're younger and you hear like the word artist it's like such at least for me it's was such like a a title to have like to be an artist is so you know fulfilling and you know you can create so many things um but I feel like as as I was growing up it was like, can I be that though? And it's so hard when you haven't started to reach out into doing that and into creating and how do you even begin? And so I think having those, you know, workshops and just, you know, even just having a little piece of paper and pen in front of someone who has already created something, it's just, it kind of takes a little bit of the vulnerability away. And whether you decide to share that piece of paper that you wrote something on or whether you decide to keep it it just is like opening a door into okay I can do it you know it's just it takes a little it takes a little bit and it just takes an idea and then you've got a little something and then that little something turns into a little bit more something and then I always find that when I was doing I remember in high school actually we had a, a teacher or a coach, I think, for Slam Poetry come into our school and she had us, you know, if you would like, I have a prompt and you can, you know, write about, uh, just write a sentence based on the prompt. And so I had, and, you know, I had taken that home with me and I continued to expand on it once I was at home and that turned into something like totally new. And that probably was like one of my first times writing a, a little poem that was like not for a class project was just like for me and I was like oh wow like that's something I can do and that I can like continue to do so I think having those bits of like opening it up to the public is so important because uh, especially uh, after having a year of working with youth I think it's so important because you know youth no matter how old you are you just you know write a little bit and you just get to see that you have created that it's so important for um everyone I think it's so healthy too um so I just love that I just love that that was there and I love you know work where you get to participate and create your own little little bit and so yeah that's basically my take on that I think it's very important to have thank you for sharing that I I really agree that um or I love that you brought up like the idea of encouraging people to step into art um I think that's a really important thing and thinking about like how it can be an intimidating thing to come into um and your experience of working with younger people and fostering their artistic abilities I think is really amazing yeah and I I want to acknowledge also like people who come into art later in life I love when an artist starts painting when they're like 45 I think that's amazing. Or when someone starts painting when they're like in their 60s. Um, I think I think participatory art is really important in, in enabling that. So thank you so much for bringing that up, James. I really appreciate that point. Yeah, maybe I'll just share about how I addressed 
that also when I first walked in the gallery to like the writing station it was like near the beginning of the open house day and I think someone had said something about Emily's work but I think they were talking about Emily Carr not my work (laughs) (laughs) but for a second I was like oh they're talking about my work oh I think they're talking about Emily Carr actually (laughs) and that, that just leads me to say that like I think a lot of people come to a place like the AGGV uh you know in the summer to see some of the you know names that they would associate with a place like Victoria, like Emily Carr. Um, And I think as like an artist myself, I'm very tired of Emily Carr shows. (laughs) And an artist in BC. Um, Yeah, I'm just really tired of Emily Carr shows, but you know, that's my personal take on things. Um, And okay, so we got like an Emily Carr show right next to this reverberation show. I think. Um, And then people who come for maybe one thing are in this other space and there's all this stuff that they don't really know what to do with. Like it's not paintings. So I think having those little moments that are a little less formal um, is like, yeah, a way to let people in um, because sometimes contemporary art can be not very friendly in that way. Uh, and this is my first time um, showing work in a, an institution of this sort of level of like programming and um, support. So it's not been an option for me to sort of like have this sort of uh, engagement component to my work. So I wasn't sure exactly how to deal with it, but I just figured having mine is just like a verbal or textual invitation. And I was thinking about how sometimes like interpretive panels are really opaque. Like I don't like reading them sometimes because it's always sort of the same language. And yeah, it's sometimes if it's just worded a little bit more casually or a little bit more in a little bit more of an open manner and inviting people in that that's maybe a little bit better. So that's what I chose to do. I just ask people to reflect on how they uh, relate to their own image archives and just got them ask people to think about how think about their own personal images how I think about my images and question the role of of digital technology and how they archive their lives. I um, thank you for bringing up this comparison that can be drawn between contemporary art and just more traditional art like Emily Carr and painting. I also have opinions about Emily Carr. Uh, <laughs> Um, so I do think it's really good and beneficial to more traditional art viewers that there's Emily Carr, but then there's three rooms full of contemporary art. Um, so I think contemporary art can be a lot for people to grasp and like digest initially. Um, if you don't have like the frame of reference for it, it can sometimes be hard to walk into it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it, there's, I, I've worked in a few galleries over the years and um, there's so many different types of visitors and how people like go through an exhibition space. There are people who read everything and who spend five minutes at each piece. Yeah. Um, and then there are people who just sort of like run through and maybe like don't read, like don't read anything and they'll look at something that they like for a little bit longer than other things. Um, or there are people who are really selective about what they read. So that also speaks to like, it's interesting to see like what people engage with for like longer amounts of time. Um, so I think that the inviting people to participate in the weaving or into writing a poem is a way to make the space more comfortable for them, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, James, do you have time to ask your questions? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I guess my question is kind of 
like going back to Robert Yutes, um, <laughs> when I like when I uh, decided on those pieces, I had already gotten like some blurbs from Mel um, with like descriptions, but I. I decided I would go down the rabbit hole of Google and uh, Google his name and see. I ended up, you know, downloading like an entire document that was like an archive, like list of every single place like his work had been or something. So that's just like downloaded onto my computer now. But um, basically, when I (laughs) decided to do that Google search, I was so I was like, oh, no, this guy is so awesome. I'm going to respond to his work. And so I was wondering if like either of you had felt any like intimidation or pressures by responding to someone else Mm -hmm. and how you kind of navigated through that. Cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll just jump on by saying, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I felt some pressure and maybe that's, (laughs) maybe that's why I, cause I looked at Sandra Meeks's work and I looked at Robert Yudes's work. I looked, I think there might be even Vicky Alexander's work in the collection. All these people were on my committee, (laughs) but it felt too close. uh, And I needed a bit more distance. So Mm. I ended up choosing work that I had actually like never encountered before. I didn't realize anything in Co was like a precursor to photo conceptualism or like they're known for that. So they're sort of like a big deal, um, anything in Co, but I think it was sort of nice that I (laughs) didn't like go into it thinking of them as like a a big deal. Um, But yeah, that I think that, yeah, their work is from like 1970. It feels so far away. So I think that distance helped me to feel less intimidated. Yeah. And similarly, yeah, I was definitely intimidated or just like, um, especially because I had the chance to, to meet Sonny, but I didn't know him from before. So it's like, okay, is he, is, what if he says no? You know, what if he's like, no, I don't want to be in conversation? You know, it seemed unlikely, but it's just like, maybe there might be something about what I presented that just wasn't part of how he envisioned his work being presented. And since he's uh, a living person, you know, that he was right there to, to get to have that conversation with. Um, and also you're just, I, at least I'm somebody who thinks a lot about responsibility and vulnerabilities of putting your work in the world and, and how people will perceive that. And while, of course, we can never know for sure how someone will respond to, to you know, in every possible way, but thinking about what it means to, to put work in conversation together and that you're kind of, and I'm like responsible for some of those conversations. So yeah, I definitely felt a lot of, yeah, I guess intim- being a bit intimidated, feeling a lot of like the weight of responsibility, I guess. In, in this type of show where it's not just like, well, here's my work and I can always, you know, most of us, as we've proven in the last little while, like talk about our work and how we think about it and, and what we're trying to do with it. But as soon as you're in this kind of really particular kind of intimate conversation, and I think with me and Sunny's work, part of the reason it works so well is also there's like a bit of tension, not between us, but it just like creates a space for tensions around materials and land base and that kind of thing, which I think is really cool. Um, but you know, again, with tension, there can be some, yeah, you're holding a space that can be, um, a bit, well, you don't always know what will happen. So yeah, I'm, I'm so thankful for the way that it turned out. And yeah, I think I'm always a little bit nervous to share my work, not just, not just in the, in the, like my heart, here you go, you know, but, uh, or like, oh, I spent a thousand hours making the thing and maybe it just won't be up to my own standards alone in one office, but, uh, but also just that, yeah, that sense of responsibility, I think it's always, is always there. For sure. Yeah. That's so interesting. I definitely 
definitely felt that. I mean, I just, oh my, oh my goodness, just going through um, even more of Robert's pieces, I was like, what? Just they are so amazing, and I just fell in love with all of them. But that in itself made me really nervous about what I was going to be writing about, um, just because I was like. I hope it lives up to some sort of standard where like these beautiful sculptures are just like so unique and fun to look at. And I was just like, okay, we can do it. But yeah, I was, it, I was pretty nervous about it. I think I just sorry, want to jump in and just say like, I think that go, that is what's so cool about this exhibition is it sort of, you said like living up to a standard, this sort of like D standard, like D standardifies <laughs> make up words. Like there's, Right. By just like it, there's poetry, there's a comp, a composer, there's Chinese calligraphy. There's like, it's, there's not like a hierarchy. Um, and I think that's, that's cool to see. And just having yet yeah, young, younger generations responding to, I think, well, Sunny Asu's work isn't in the far off distant past, but like a lot of us are responding to older those, some of those Chinese calligraphy works were very old. So it's cool to bring that timeline into the gallery. Yeah. I, I also wanted to speak to like um, the sort of trepidation of being an emerging artist or an early career yeah. artist Yeah. and how everything, you don't have that experience. So you feel like you have to live up to these certain things. Um, so I appreciate you bringing that up, James, because I don't know if you would consider yourselves emerging artists. I consider myself an emerging curator. I definitely don't have as much experience as my co-curators, um, but I learned a lot through this exhibition. I got a lot of experience through this exhibition. It was one of my first exhibitions working with like real artists and not just the collection. It's a totally, totally different experience. Um, it's really rewarding working with people. And there were times where I felt like, oh, I'm not answering my emails quick enough, or I'm not going as fast as my other co-curators. And yeah, it's just interesting. Everything comes together the way it's supposed to. And I think, Emily, I really like your point about the non-hierarchization of the exhibition. I love that it's so interdisciplinary and how there's so many different mediums that are in the show. Like Rob's pieces are so unique. There's a there's poetry in the space. It's mm. being spoken into the space. There's weaving with natural materials. The Chinese calligraphy is so beautiful. Um, and the composition, um, the musical piece by Anna Hostman is just amazing and so cool to listen. And the other artist that I work with, Sage Paul, she's a co-Salish artist and she responded to um, a print that we have in our collection by her dad. And so it speaks to this really beautiful um, idea of intergenerational storytelling. Um, okay, with that, I would like to thank you all so, so much for joining us. Um, I want to thank you all for being vulnerable. Like Estraven said earlier, it's it's um, it's always amazing when people can come together and we can have these kinds of conversations, even though we don't know each other really well. And we can be really honest and speak about what it was like to create this exhibition and to create these relationships. Ultimately, I'm really grateful that I know all of you now. Um, so I'll end the podcast by saying this is work in progress. The series is programmed through the Art Gallery of Greater Victoria in Victoria, BC, with farmlands and is generously supported by a Canada Council for the Arts Digital Now grant. For those who want to learn more about the Reverberations exhibition on view at the AGGD from April through September 2022, visit agggd.ca.